0: This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 114. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Brown. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood. I'm here with my bald, beautiful, amazing, purple shirted co host, Christopher J. Graham. Chris, did you know? I just realized we're 114 episodes in that we double introduce ourselves. Our actual podcast intro (laughs) with the voiceover guy introduces us. You're right. (laughs) And then every single episode, I reintroduce us. They already know who we are. You know, maybe we should stop reintroducing ourselves. Yeah. Which is weird because I can't not start with that intro now. It's like when we say, okay, we're starting, it just comes out of my mouth. I can't even help it anymore.
1: I think we're stuck, man. I think this is what we do from here on out. Whatever. Whatever. I don't know. We've been doing it for a while.
0: Hey, I've got a couple questions for you for some fun banter time before we get started. God, you know what's worse than a podcast that doesn't get to the point? It's a podcast that doesn't get to the point but also plans to not get to the point by having (laughs) preset banter spurring questions just to give people a little backstory here on this. Chris and I will banter sometimes like a lot of podcast co-hosts do because we're friends and this is how we do things. And it helps ease this into the show instead of just going straight to business. This is how, we do, how we do it. In the South, it's, <laughs> it's actually impolite to go straight to business. You, you talk about, you just shoot the shit for like an hour before you actually talk business. And that's the way things are. Maybe the same in Ohio. It's the same in Asia. So Chris has, for whatever reason, I don't know what these questions are, but has like conversation spurring banter, spurring questions here that I guess he's going to do now. So would you like to tee it up?
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are things I also genuinely wonder about you and it would be fun to share some of my answers with you too. Okay. So here's my question for you, Brian. What's the most embarrassing favorite band that
0: you had or have? Still Creed. Creed's still one of my favorite bands.
1: <laughs> I love it. With well, arms right open!
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, so that was like the first stuff I learned to play on guitar. And so... uh that's amazing. Special place in my heart there. My most embarrassing favorite band that to this day against my will I still enjoy listening to every once in a while. It's Collective Soul. I'm not familiar with much of their stuff. I I'm sure I've heard their like singles and shit just by existing on earth, but I couldn't tell you a single song by them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it.
1: Oh, man, that was my jam growing up. I would buy every CD they made like the day it came out.
0: You realize right now we're being those old people who talk about the good old days.
1: (laughs) These are not the good old days, folks. (laughs) They were not. Their first record wasn't even mastered. It was so freaking quiet. They didn't even put a limiter.
0: Okay, so you got the first spurring question out of the way. It's about being old people that are just reminiscing on the past.
1: Man, so I had a great Christmas. I took like 11 days off. I didn't turn my computer on for like 11 days. I've never
0: done that. And it was really good for a lot of reasons, but our family, it was just great. Dude, I'm telling you, man, like when you can get away from that stuff and just like turn your brain off for a while, because I
1: I didn't, it went, how many, 14 days for you? Uh, I think it was like 11 days without opening my computer.
0: Okay. So I, I managed about seven without doing any sort of work and it was like very refreshing, came back at it with like renewed energy and a lot of good ideas. And I think that that's something I needed to fit more into my schedule, which is some time off. And I got a lot of travel scheduled this year, like an insane amount of travel. And tell us about it, Chris.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- there's a piece of this year that I think is really valuable for us as a community to to think about, um, about how you can optimize for better performance by taking a huge step back and sort of breaking your work addiction. At least that for me, that was the case. It was like, okay, well, I'm definitely going to approach 2020 with a little bit less workaholism and it was interesting to like get detoxed enough from it to be able to see more clearly like, I should not do this thing anymore. I should be more disciplined about that. So yeah, I'm excited about 2020. Super, super, super duper excited. And- well,
0: the the plan is to actually, we, we've we talked about some of the podcast before. We talked about it in our Facebook community to get a six-figure home studio retreat somewhere relaxing. We're working on it. Yeah. We just get a group of people together and talk about business, but not work <laughs> if that's you know how that you know how that is. Totally. But it, it, you're getting away. We're hiking, we're like eating good food, we're adventuring, we're giving our brains a break so that we can have those aha moments. We don't have it set in stone yet. Chris and I have like a ton of like stupid red tape and business stuff to do on the back end with like you know, legality stuff liability do doing yeah, liability issues when it comes to getting that many people together. So once we get all the red tape stuff squared away, we'll set a date for this. But this is something I'm really looking forward to for the exact reason you just you just said, is getting together with people. Well, I guess stepping away from things. But I love masterminds where you're like, it's kind of like a retreat setting. It's kind of like a the first time I met you, it was kind of like that. It was here in Nashville. We weren't working at all. We were just hanging out and just talking and having like really good conversations about what we were doing, what we were trying to do, what we were trying to achieve. And I would love to replicate that sort of experience somewhere else besides Nashville with a group of like other audio people
1: Totally. I keep being reminded of your bachelor party. We went to Yosemite and I my wife got me a picture Uh, From that frame that i'm gonna hang in my office. But yeah, that whole experience of just like hanging out with a bunch of awesome dudes and asking them questions and having them ask me questions and just sort of like absorbing their awesomeness (laughs) (laughs) for lack of better terms of just like there were a couple guys there in particular trevor obviously your best friend your best man in the wedding who's one of the founders of soundstripe and just hearing his story and hearing about his businesses and just sort of like observing how brilliant he is and being like oh i i should try to be smarter in ways like that
0: i love hanging around with my friends because they are all better than me at a lot of things (laughs) and so it rubs off such an amazing group yeah, so I didn't mean to turn that into a pitch for this event that we have not scheduled, but if that sounds interesting to you, we'll talk about it more on the podcast when we have details. Anything else you want to chat about before we jump into this episode topic today? My wife did get me a Christmas present. What did she get you for Christmas? We already talked about mine because my, my Christmas was early. What was yours? You're going to hate it so much.
1: It was a little tiny, it looks like a pen, but it hooks up to your smartphone and it has a little tiny camera on the end of it. And you stick it in your ear to see if you have any earwax buildup. And then there's like a little toothpick attached to the end of it for you to clean your ears out. What the fuck? It's like 40 bucks on Amazon and uh, you can like see your eardrum and
0: it was so gross and so interesting. And conveniently, my ears were super clean. Aren't you supposed, like, isn't earwax a good thing? Don't you need it for like, isn't it there for a reason? Probably not. I feel like as audio guys, we should know the answer to that question. Well, but you should at least like, I mean, it it was interesting even for me as a
1: mastering engineer, like you could spend all this time like, Oh, are my monitors flat? Is my room well treated?
0: Is there a giant booger in your ear? Maybe something you should be aware of. Oh my God. Can you imagine like someone who has like chronic earwax that just didn't know it? Yeah. And then they did an audio career. And then the second they cleared out their ears, it ruined their career because they (laughs) Now all this high-end is existing. All my mixes suck since I got my ears clean. Oh, man. All right, let's move into the topic today because I don't want to hear any more about your earwax. It was so gross.
1: Yeah. God.
0: So today, I'm sure the title gave it away, but we're going to talk about four ideas to get you to profitability ASAP. Yes, now. And if you listened last week, we talked about something called blue ocean versus red ocean. And Chris, do you want to explain that real quick? Yeah, I mean, the idea is... What a lot of people do wrong in business, not just in our
1: industry, but they pick what what you would call a red ocean to compete in. A red ocean is something where there's a lot of competitors and the competitors are just kicking each other's asses and there's blood in the water. That's why the ocean is red. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood in the red ocean. Blue ocean is totally the opposite. Is that you go somewhere where the competition is
0: low and you try to be number one in a niche. So it's kind of like us, the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Yeah. From episode number one, we've had the same intro. We were the number one business podcast in the recording industry. It was Blue Ocean.
1: So we started, you know, making podcasts and because there was pent up demand, people wanted to learn about this stuff and nobody was teaching it. So it was like we grew really, really fast. If we had done something like just try to launch the same format that other people were doing, it wouldn't have worked well. Why would we do that? And some of what we had going for us is like, we're friends with most of the most popular podcasters in our industry. So why would we
0: steal their format? That's crazy. Like that would have been a real dick move. So with that in mind, Red Ocean versus Blue Ocean, we wanted to present four Blue Ocean ideas with the goal to get you to profitability ASAP. There is a reason for this, because if you're trying to make a living in audio, there's a lot that goes with that. But the first thing that matters above all else Is actually becoming profitable so that you can make money so that you can make a living so that you can actually sustain yourself it's all about sustainability and Chris you had a little bit on this topic and really why we're going to present these four ideas to you is for the purpose of sustainability So here's the thing you're going to start a
1: business in audio and your goal is sustainability You want to do this for the rest of your life because you love it, right? So if I have to start a business from scratch in audio I'm going to be paying attention to three things, and these are ideal customers. These are the type of people that I want to work with that will keep my studio open. One are people that have cash, not people who can barely afford anything. In a situation like this, I think what a lot of people do is like, oh, I'm 20. I'm going to start a recording studio, and I'm only going to record other 20-year-olds. Well, 20-year-olds usually don't have a whole lot of money, so you might want to rethink that part. Number two would be reoccurring looking for customers who will hire me again and again and again and again. And a lot of times, this is completely my story when I started producing, was I would hire people. I had a lot of repeat customers when I started out, but it would be like years in between projects. So you need a huge number of customers to support your business if it's a couple years between records. So I'd be paying attention to people that are, are offer the type of projects that are recurring. And then number three, word of mouth. I'd be looking for customers who are going to tell everyone they know how great it was working with me.
0: Or people that have a lot of visibility so that they're going to passively refer people to you. Yeah. They don't have to necessarily be telling everyone, but just by them working with you, you're going to get work from them.
1: Totally. hundred percent. A good example of that is slightly embarrassing. Keep in mind, this is a long time ago. I was just starting out, but I started going to, not for like impure reasons, but I started going to this church here in Columbus, Ohio called The Vineyard. And the vineyard was huge, at least back then. I think it was like 10,000 people or something like that. And it had a thriving music community. And so I worked with like one person and then they told their friends and I worked with a second person. I think I worked with just about every single musician in that church of which there were many, 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 many. So it was a community where word of mouth really worked. And I think what a lot of people do wrong is they work with a client who doesn't necessarily have a community And as a result, there's no word of mouth. You don't pick up any projects from that project.
0: Yeah. And so those are really the three things that are going to help you get to profitability the most. And these four ideas are going to range from very practical to completely off the wall, because this is the way Chris's brain works. (laughs) All of these four ideas that we have focus on one of those three things, clients with cash, clients that are recurring, that will come back to you again and again and again, and clients that will give you word of mouth. And some are a combination of all three of these, if not all three of these in one. This is all about trying to make a living now so that you have enough money so that you can do what you actually want to do in the future. Because I think most people have this misconception that they are going to quit their day job and go immediately into the exact niche that they want to work on. And it's going to work perfectly for them. But in most cases, that does not work. There's going to be, what's the best term for this? A weaning period or an intermediate period, a purgatory where you are Making money in audio doing something that you may not be a hundred percent passionate about, but at the end of the day, it's way better than working a a soul-sucking day job that a lot of people have. And if you can shift your focus on instead of being selfish about what you want to do in audio, and selfish about the fact that you only will do what you want to do in audio and think a little broader about the fact that, hey, what I want to do in audio, that online mixing thing that I want to do in any genre of music, it's actually a very red ocean. And we talked about that last week. It's an extraordinarily red ocean. that's going to require a lot, a lot, a lot of work if you want to stand out in it instead of trying to do that. Maybe I'll tackle one of these ideas that Chris and Brian talked about today that are a little off the wall, but also are not full of blood. (laughs) The waters are not full of blood because they are something so different, or at least on the early, early, early part of that curve that, what do they call it again? The bell curve. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think the big idea here is what you want for your own happiness and sanity and what you need to grow a business is flexibility and a day job. Most of them don't provide that. A nine to five, it's going to be really, 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 really hard to run your business on your leftovers. Be like, okay, it's five o'clock. I'm home. Now I'm going to work from five to nine on my business. That's rough what you need is the flexibility to be able to build the business that you want to be able to invest in yourself and a 9 to 5 makes that tricky for some people the best option might actually be to find a side hustle to find a job a traditional job that's super duper flexible and honestly that was kind of the way that I did this was I was uh let's see here it'd be like 2007 or so I got hired as a worship leader at a church and It was emotionally intense, but it was only about 10 hours a week and was enough to like pay our mortgage, which gave me a lot of flexibility to work on my business because I knew like our base expenses were covered.
0: And that's a big part of this is in a blue ocean, it's a lot easier to make enough money to get enough mental bandwidth in order to where you can have the thoughts you need or have the mental clarity you need to build a business that you actually want to do or at least get the weight off your shoulders of debt or a day job that's taking up 40, 50 hours of your week or any of those other things that are holding you back from uh, pursuing your dreams. With all that aside, let's actually get into these four ideas. and see if one of these four are something that you might be able to do. So we're gonna start things off here with the least of the off-the-wall ideas. And this is something we've talked about on the podcast before, but this is something I have not seen our, our community really embrace. I've seen a few people try to do this, and that is a done for you podcast agency. Now before you go screaming away and saying why would I want to do that? This is nothing to do with audio. This is nothing to do with a recording studio. I want you to bear with me because this is one of those things that we have in our community a unique resource and a unique position to do a business like this at a high level better than the other people that are doing this right now. And so I have seen and I have heard of multiple agencies out there that are doing done for you podcast services and bringing in 50 to a hundred thousand dollars per month or more for their agency and these are people that actually have no ties to the audio industry these are entrepreneurs that either started a podcast or they're just entrepreneurs that spotted the opportunity that's out there and jumped on it and the reason they're able to do this is because if you go back to the thing that Chris talked about earlier these are clients that they're working with that have cash and these are clients that they're working with that have Recurring work because the nature of a podcast is that you are doing recurring work And third a lot of these people these clients that they're talking to the podcast community is pretty small overall And so these people talk to each other and especially the types of clients you're working with and the types of clients that I would suggest working with those clients talk to each other a lot so I think chris we should talk about how we would actually make this business work because there's a lot that goes into this and Just to really quickly clarify what I mean by done for you podcast agency We've talked about this back in episode 102, why you should start a podcast for your business before it's too late. We released that on October 22nd. Back when we talked about that, we went really into details about the opportunities that podcasts have for businesses. And I mean, we had a lot of people on our, I don't know how many people you got tagged, Chris, but I got tagged by tons of people who started a podcast after that episode. Like two dozen, maybe? I don't even know, it was a lot. So we talked about that in that episode. So the opportunity is there. But there are so many people in the industry who want to start a podcast in different businesses out there that have no idea the technical parts behind that. They don't understand how to choose the right interface, how to choose a microphone. They don't understand how to edit the podcast. They don't understand how to process the podcast. They don't know how to put all of the metadata on the episode and then upload it to some sort of hosting platform. They don't even understand how hosting works. And these are all things that are not that hard to figure out, especially if you're the type of person who has already figured out how to run a studio, someone who's already figured out how to work a DAW. And I tell people, a DAW is one of the most difficult pieces of software there is to learn out there. Yep. And so if you can figure out how to work a DAW, there is no limit to what you can figure out as far as learning how software works. So it doesn't take much for you to take what you know now and turn that into podcast done-for-you agency, where all they have to do is show up and record, or even record on their laptops, and you take the audio, and then you run with it. You do everything else for them. And we'll talk about more behind that in a second. But Chris, did you have something you wanted to add to that?
1: Yeah. You know, I'd say a couple things on this. One, when I wrote Bounce Butler, wrote the code for Bounce Butler, like the base code, I wrote it in a program called Xcode. Xcode is super complicated. Less so than Pro Tools, though. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, I learned it a lot. I started with Digital Performer was the first DAW I ever used. And the learning curve is a lot less steep with Xcode just because it wasn't like integrating all the different pieces of it. There's just a lot less that can go wrong than with audio. Like you can clip any track a million different places, and there's a lot that can go wrong. So, my kind of piece here is people want this service. People desire it because when they record a podcast, they want to sound intelligent, they want to sound like they know what they're talking about. It's their reputation is on the line. And having crap audio, it doesn't help them. Doesn't make them seem cool, doesn't make them seem smart, closes a lot of doors for them. If you've ever mixed a song and done a halfway decent job at it, you are, congratulations, probably one of the best podcast mixers, or you would be if you tried to be on Earth. Because you know how a compressor works. You know how EQ works. You know what a high pass filter is. Like all of these things that you gotta integrate to get a great sounding podcast. So this is an area where you can take your skill in music and walk into a slightly new industry and be world class on day one. Yes.
0: So I want to go into this about what I would do if I were starting one today. And full disclosure, Chris and I have talked at length about starting a podcast agency. So Chris actually didn't want to really talk about this. And I understand (laughs) why, because we'd be talking about something that Chris and I may end up doing, but I twisted his arm and said that, you know what, even if our community jumped on this idea. The chances that we'll be competing for the same exact clients are pretty low.
1: Well, we also need to bring up that Brian and I are always talking. How many different businesses have we talked about starting together? I couldn't even begin to put a number on it. It's like- Yeah, it's a lot. We're constantly doing that. You know, some people write
0: songs. We make little tiny businesses. Yes. And some songs too. (laughs) We already have stuff planned for certain businesses in the future, but this one we may or may not do. We'll see. But I still love the prospects of it because of- what you talked about earlier, it's clients with cash on a recurring basis, and a lot of them spread word of mouth advertisement. They spread your name very, very quickly with word of mouth advertising.
1: Yeah. Depending on how you negotiate your contract with the podcast, er, is if they have a big audience at the end of each podcast, they're like, This podcast was mixed by Brian Hood. Like they're gonna tell people about you
0: because it's traditional in podcasting world to give credit where credit is due, unlike music. That's a great point. And that's actually an idea I didn't even think about. Whenever you're negotiating uh, the, deals, the the terms of the deal, requiring them to give you credit at the end of the episode is a really smart thing to do. And you can't do that in music. No, nope. This song was recorded by Brian <laughs> Hood. Like, God, oh my gosh. Worked. Can you imagine? Yeah. Uh. But podcasts, I hear in credits all the time. So this is something, I'm glad you said that. So anyways, let me, let me dig in. This is not going to be an in-depth thing. If somebody wants more info on this, maybe I could do an online course if people are really interested. Maybe I could do a live like workshop where we work through this together. Yeah, so let's talk about how I would make this work. First thing to talk about is if you're starting a new business, how are you going to generate awareness for this business? We call that TOFU, top of funnel. And again, and this is not going to be super in-depth. I'm going to keep this pretty short. When it comes to something like a podcast editing agency you need to first determine the type of client you want to reach. And for me, that's going to be businesses because businesses are willing to spend a lot of money on a podcast. They are the ones that have cash. And when I want to start an agency, I will run ads to find customers for my podcast agency. And Chris, you may be different with us, but top of funnel, I'm running Facebook ads to a landing page and getting leads through that because on Facebook and Instagram, is every single potential customer you would ever want out there. True. And if you create the right ads that get the right type of person to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm interested in starting a podcast, I would almost guarantee you could get leads at a fair rate that will end up converting at 500 to 1,000 or more per month in recurring income for one client. Possible, yeah. And when you have numbers like that, it really doesn't take that many leads in order to have a good business. You just gotta make sure you're attracting the right type of customer. Because again, we've talked about this in past episodes. It's not hard to get clicks, it's hard to get customers. And so if you're getting a lot of clicks to your website and a lot of people are filling out your contact form, but none of them are qualified, meaning they don't have cash, they're not recurring customers, they're not a fit for what you're looking for, then you're gonna have a really, really tough time. So for this, I would be targeting entrepreneurs that own businesses, that have a certain income level, that have employees, if at all possible. You know what, I might actually do LinkedIn ads instead. Because that's really where more of those people are. That's not a bad idea.
1: One of the things I would do, you know, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. We're a pretty big city. I think it's like the 13th or 14th largest in the country, United States. I would, first of all,
0: think about who I knew that owned a business. You'd go local. I'd go local first. Ooh, that's, this is why you're my friend and my podcast co-host. Because (laughs) to me, it's like, I go straight for the like, it's so easy, set up an ad funnel. And then you get, you just pay. And then people sign. No, like, why would I do that if... I can go to people that I already have relationships with and yeah, that's so much better. Do what Chris said.
1: Yeah. So I would go local. I would think of who I already knew, the who I already had relationships with and I would start pitching them on, you know, starting to podcast now is sort of like having a YouTube channel in 2007. The hockey stick growth curve right now is like starting to go exponential. Yeah, We're seeing massively more people listening to podcasts. So I would do a little sales pitch on like how powerful it is. And I would help them strategize about what a beneficial podcast would look like for their business. Yeah. And I would basically put my business coach hat on and would business coach them on how to do a podcast.
0: This is a great way to do this because from the very get go, you are not pitching them on you editing their podcast or you doing all of their podcasts for them. You are building the desire to have a podcast in the first place. So if you were talking to real estate agents or real estate brokers, or you're talking to a business owner who has a pizza shop, or you have someone that has a, I know so many bloggers out there that have these really successful blogs and no podcast with it.
1: Yeah. Let me hop in with that. that that's actually a great point. I would talk to people that had blogs. That's exactly what happened with you. You had the Six figure Studio blog before the podcast. Yep. So I'd be finding people that were already influential, but also people like, let's say there was a really, really good pizza shop uh, here in town. There is, it's called Natalie's, one of the best venues in town as well. It's a nice small club. It's wonderful. If they wanted to market Natalie's, them starting a local music or local restaurant podcast is interesting because it's something that foodies in Columbus, Ohio would listen to and they get to talk about themselves.
0: They become their own sponsors starting a local podcast like that, they can get sponsors from other local restaurants who are willing to pay to be in front of their ideal audience because the only people that listen to that are people in Columbus who like food or foodies in Columbus. And so as a done-for-you agency, that's one of your services is helping them work with sponsors. And obviously you can negotiate that however you want, but these are the type of clients when you have this sort of potential that you're pitching to them, it's not that hard to get a thousand or more per month from a client just talking about real estate for a second or uh, actually a better example is a somebody I'd been coaching who does uh, A loan originator in real estate and one lead for him If he is the one who gets the loan from them He gets like three or four grand in commissions from that one customer So for him a customer is worth a lot if his podcast That I help him launch gets one customer per month It is more than worth it to pay a thousand of that to me. Yeah well, and the big thing there for him is
1: you got to put yourself in these business owner's shoes. If they have a co-pilot and you know somebody taking care of people in the back of the plane and they're the pilot, they can just show up and be done in an hour with an episode. Yeah, If they're really disciplined about it and if they're really coached well and produced well, it's not that much work for them. And that's really interesting for them if they're looking at that from a return on investment or an ROI perspective. You know, one of the other things I would do if I were trying to find customers for a podcast agency and I were just starting now is I would spend a lot of time in the Apple podcast app looking for podcasts from hopefully influencers that had just started that sounded like crap.
0: (laughs) This is true. If it sounds like crap, it's usually self-produced. And if it's self-produced and it's somebody that's running a business or is in a niche that has money, Those are people that are probably doing it themselves and their time is very valuable to them So for you to take it all off of their hands It is not a hard sell to be honest
1: Yeah to be like well if you did this all by yourself and you're releasing weekly, which is a big secret to growth Apparently, I guess so. I mean it's working for us. So
0: (laughs) I mean some podcasts are daily too, but yeah weekly at, at the least
1: Yeah, if they're releasing weekly or you know, even daily or whatever how many hours per month do they need to put into that to make it happen outside of actually recording? So I would say for sure, like $1,000 a month, you're talking 250 per episode, Yep, really isn't a whole lot of money if the customer that you're trying to win stands to gain much more than $1,000 per month. Yeah,
0: we talked about this like... <laughs> Episode two or three or one like we've talked about the five dollar hamburger the ten dollar hamburger If you sell a ten dollar hamburger, which there are some in nashville that are ten dollar hamburgers You sell a ten dollar hamburger that tastes like a ten dollar hamburger. It's like, okay, that's that's fine I guess if you sell a three dollar hamburger that tastes like a ten dollar hamburger a twelve dollar hamburger That's when you are going to spread the word to everyone that this is an amazing burger. This is a $3 burger at this hole in the wall bar in Germantown that is just incredible. And it puts every other burger to shame and it's only three bucks. That's what you're gonna go spread the word to. So if you're working with a business owner, and this is good for any industry and any kind of niche and any kind of service that you're doing, when you set your rates, you need to make sure you are leaving some value on the table, which sounds completely counter to everything else. But that is your marketing budget. We've talked about this in the past. You undercharging just a little bit compared to the value they're getting is going to give them so much gratitude for what you do for them, they're going to go spread the word for you and get you 30 more clients. And some of this is how you pick the clients that you're pursuing. If you're pursuing a client who
1: wants to do a Dungeons & Dragons podcast and you pitch them on $1,000, you can't go give her them. You can't deliver more value than they receive. If you find a realtor and you pitch them on a podcast or a restaurant owner, or, I mean, let's fill in the blank, Let's say that they owned a chain of pizza restaurants and they were going to do a pizza podcast. That starts to get interesting. Or, you know, the realtor, I think, is the best example because a realtor doesn't need a whole lot more leads to make a whole lot more money. But if you're approaching it in that way, you want to make sure that you're pitching yourself to people that you stand to give them a huge return on their investment. If you're pitching a high price to people who don't stand to make
0: significantly more from you, Sales is a tough job to have there. Yeah, I want to correct you on something, Chris. Please do. I love it. I didn't hear anything you said because I was researching. I knew I was going to call bullshit on you the second you said it. You called out Dungeons & Dragons podcast as not being able to afford your services and not being able to go give you. Oh, here we go. Not Another D&D podcast is literally a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, and it has 4,900 ratings after 88 episodes. What? So you know how much they are getting on their sponsorships. On that podcast, like th- how many downloads they must have. They're getting hundreds of thousands of downloads a month if my math is doing me correctly. They're gaming the system there, man. Just tell me I'm right and you're wrong. That's all I want to hear from you. They're gaming the system there, Brian. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that's an example though. It's like somebody out there is making a lot of money with a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. If they're playing their cards right. Yeah, that's, there's, okay. There's not really cards and Dungeons and Dragons. But talk about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i love crippling you with a pun yeah you're just like I, uh, 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 uh.
0: It's, i'm just hope you never get bored of them it's <laughs> it's it's called deflation <laughs> it's like my energy level drops the octave of my voice drops. okay okay just like 30 octaves it's down. a risk when i make them man it's a i'm rolling the dice those are pun puns are you fucking done yet
1: <laughs> i'm work i'm working on it let me throw one more piece in there. We talked about this. We were texting about this earlier today. I bought my family Catan, Settlers of Catan. It's a board game. Speaking of games, if you guys want to play a fun game and learn more about running your business while you're doing it, go buy Settlers of Catan, C-A-T-A-N. There's so much business strategy and negotiation strategy. And I played three times, three full games with my my nine-year-old yesterday and it was amazing he's learning so much it's such a great game but on with the
0: show yes we're talking about running a podcast agency a done for you podcast agency where you make it very high touch you take it off of their shoulders and you do everything even if you can go high touch as you want even if you are live on zoom with them or in person with them as they record helping them with the show helping them set things up helping them Script out the outline helping them with the pre-interview helping them with a checklist Like there is so much you could do to bring value to that To where it is a no-brainer for them to keep paying you month after month after month The goal is if you're starting out from scratch, you're going to be doing all this and that's fine The goal is eventually you're going to be hiring out to do a lot of this stuff So that you're not the one doing the day-to-day work on these little menial tasks like helping someone set up a microphone Well, there's a couple things
1: I would say with this first of all as we sort of move into the middle of the funnel here and how to close, this is even t- bottom of funnel. If you pitch them on, hey, you know, I saw you guys are doing a podcast. I'm an audio engineer. I'd love to help you guys. You're a perfect podcast customer for me because you clearly could make a lot of money in your podcast, but your podcast sounds like crap. Here, I'm going to bring in some audio gear. I'll record you guys. I'll mix and master it. And then I'll give you that episode for free. They're going to publish that episode and they will never be able to go back to the old way of doing things because they're going to sound badass. If you did it for them, and then they're gonna sound like little nerds with little thin voices and too much room tone and bad EQ and all the whole nine yards. So it's an easy product to show value on just by knowing how to use like compressors and EQ and stuff. You
0: don't have to be that advanced to do way better than the layperson for a podcast. Yeah, so there is a podcast episode I was listening to. This kind of sparked this conversation recently with Chris and I. It's a podcast, I can't remember the name, but it's a podcast that basically teaches the business of running a medical practice. And so it's the six-figure home studio podcast, but for the medical field, (laughs) it's the business of running another business. So anyways, he has a side business where he has a done-for-you podcast service, where he has a team of people that do all this stuff that we just talked about. And Chris, can you just take a wild guess at what he charges for this package? You ready? They do all of the music. They get the uh, intro voiceover done. They help you with the format of the show, and they will help you record and edit and release 24 episodes. How much? Five grand. $18,000. What? Let's do this, Brian. 18 grand. (laughs) And he is crushing it right now. So this is somebody who has a medical practice. He has no audio background. He has a successful podcast and that's the only qualification he has is a successful podcast. I think that there is a lot to this and that's why we've talked about this for so long. And this is why it's the first thing we talked about on here is because there is so much that our community could do with this sort of thing. Yep. And if you were looking for something as a, I guess a sidestep a purgatory to get you out of your day job so that you can make money so that you can then start to do more of what you actually want to do. This is a very, very good one. Anything else you want to talk about when it comes to the podcast agency before we move on to the other ideas? Yeah. So, as
1: we're talking through this, and this is sort of one of the reasons I love podcasting with you, man, is I'm understanding this topic more deeply as we discuss it. So, initially, I said, when you're finding new customers, you're trying to find a niche that's a cash cow that can keep you in business a long time. I said, there's three things you look for someone with cash, the customers that can afford to pay you a lot, customers that can afford to pay you again and again and again, recurring, and then word of mouth, customers who are going to spread the good word about working with you. I think I need to revise that and add two more things, teachability and industry growth. Podcasting is interesting because teachability becomes important because you can begin to hire people and start to grow your business by hiring because teaching people how to do podcasting is totally doable. Teaching people how to do mastering, not so much, a little more challenging, a whole lot more challenging. So I would much rather own a podcasting business just from the standpoint of scalability If I'm just thinking about money, podcasting makes a lot more sense than mastering because it's teachable. You can hire people and it's not
0: like, okay, your training begins now. This is by far the easiest type of business to set up, do yourself for a while, but as you gain, gain clients, you're removing yourself more and more from this business to the point where eventually you will be able to run this agency if you do this correctly and set up your systems and hire the right people to where you're working just a few hours a week in order to maintain a business that's bringing in Potentially a lot of money if you're working with the right type of clients
1: Yeah, you could actually take your audio skills and build a four-hour work week
0: This is one of the more exciting ideas. I think i've had in the audio industry at least You know, I love file pass. I love doing that and that's like a business that has a lot of scale to it It's doing really well. It's a lot of fun but it's not necessarily like Me doing anything with audio. It's more me doing the business side of things You know, if we had a podcast agency, there's a lot more audio involved with that and so Really, it's really exciting. I'd love to see some people in our community because I I know not everyone's going to take this idea and run with it, but I know some people in our community will take this and do really well with it. And I'm excited to see what sort of stuff people do. Totally. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show.
1: So again, the five things we're looking for in these businesses are cash, people can afford to pay you a high rate, reoccurring revenue, they'll hire you again and again, word of mouth, they'll tell other people about working with you, teachability, which means you can actually hire people and train them easily, and then growth. Podcasting, I don't really care who you talk to. Any kind of expert in this field is going to say, well, podcasting is projected to explode in the 2020s. Oh my gosh, the 2020s. I've, I haven't said that word yet. <laughs> we're in the 20s, Don't we? We're, in the, we're 20s, in the 20s, yo.
0: Podcasting is exploding, and that's a huge deal. Well, let's talk about the next type of business. Yeah, we got three more of these to do. I don't know how we're going to get these done today. I'm about 30 minutes or so into this podcast. Here we go. Number two on our list of blue ocean ideas that will help you get to profitability, ASAP. This was created by Chris Graham. You're the one that pitched this idea to me. So I don't know if I fully agree with it yet, but we'll just talk about it anyways and we'll argue about it. It is pre-producer. Can there be a sad trombone after that? (laughs) Yeah, that was so lame. Let me pitch it. So yeah. I
1: live in Columbus, Ohio, as I mentioned, probably way too much in the show. And there's another guy that lives in Columbus, Ohio named Mark Abrams. Mark Abrams manages puremix.com. You've probably heard of it. Pure Mix is humongous. And they're a training platform for high-end audio engineers. So you can take a bunch of like online courses with Grammy winning engineers and stuff like that. We were having lunch the other day and a lot of this episode stems from that conversation with Mark. So shout out to Mark for that. And one of the things that came up was this idea of, I think it was Mark who told me the story about Bob Clearmountain, how Bob Clearmountain kind of invented the mix engineer field. And it brought up an interesting question, which is, what is the next job description in our industry that does not exist yet? You know, back in the day, there was no such thing as a mix engineer, and now there is. Uh, That's super interesting. Every job in our industry, every job description at one point did not exist. It wasn't like Alexander Graham Bell invented recording, and then all of a sudden there was like, oh, we got editors and mix engineers and mastering engineers and producers, and we got, uh, you know, tracking
0: engineers. It wasn't like that. Things have splintered off into specialists now. It used to be like back in the day in the medical industry, you just kind of had one person who did it all. You had the town doctor, and now I couldn't even begin to list how many specialists there are in the medical industry for one specific joint, a joint doctor or whatever, a joint specialist, if you have joint problems. A toe doctor. A toe, I don't know if there's a toe doctor, but there's one for just about every body part. Probably. Yeah, I mean, so it's
1: a weird thing. We see in every industry throughout history, any industry that's growing, that's doing well, starts to have specialists in it. So what's the next specialist? The idea I have for this is pre-producer. We've got producers, we've got mix engineers, but a lot more people are recording themselves and a lot more people are, this breaks my heart, but they're falling back. I'm like, well, I don't really need to practice before I go into the session today because they can all fix it in post. They can auto-tune it. They can edit it. That's 100% the attitude. Ugh, And it's awful because everybody listening to the show has experienced this. Probably the artist shows up and they don't even know their lyrics. They don't even have lyrics, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's the case as well. And so you're sitting there like, crap, I have to get these guys an album. But they're completely unprepared. So, I think there's a huge opportunity for I think like five years from now, there will be a ton of people who call themselves pre producers. They're kind of songwriters, they're kind of arrangers, they're kind of producers. They have a network of like vocal coaches, drumming coaches, arrangers, you know, songwriters, the whole nine yards where they help the band get ready to actually have a record produced. My gosh, when I was producing, I can't imagine how much easier my job would have been if there had been somebody who just did pre-production with them to like cross off each of the items on the list of like, have you rehearsed this song? Have you practiced this song? Do you know how to play it? Has your guitar been professionally set up? Have you changed your, the heads on your drums in like less than 15 years? Like just the stupid stuff that you're like in a session, like, oh gosh, you didn't show up to the session with a guitar with brand new strings on it. Why? Okay. I will change the guitar strings and, Get out my tools and adjust your intonation. A pre-producer is somebody who would make sure that when they showed up for the session, that the band was ready, the songs were ready, and there was some cohesive idea for the producer to actually work with. The snowball had begun to roll downhill instead of the producer being like, well, uh, let me figure out how to generate some momentum
0: because these guys are totally unprepared. How do you pitch this to somebody? Because this is, I mean, I still am not sold on this idea, but how do you pitch this to someone who is producing from home, for example? That's where a lot of the industry is headed. And that's why online mixing is kind of blown up and and become so popular is because people are self-producing at home now. Why would they want a pre-producer? Sales mode, Chris Graham initiated. Okay, there'd be a YouTube ad. It'd
1: be finding people that self-produce. And I would say, are you producing at home? Are you working on songs and not finishing them? (laughs) have you started over 50 songs and not released a single one of them? Your problem is pre-production. You're not focusing enough on preparing to produce and record your song. I can video chat with you over the internet and I can help you flesh out your ideas so that when you go to record your song, it will go smoothly. You'll have everything you need and you'll be able to get over that indecision, that imposter syndrome, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People that are recording at home want control. Right? They want two things control and they want to save money. But as a result, what happens is they stall. They stall out. They start working on a song and they're like, oh man, I'm not into that song anymore. I'll start a new song. And they do it again and again and again. I myself have done this many, 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 many times.
0: So, this to me almost sounds more like a songwriting coach than anything else. Yeah. People do have a ton of problems not finishing songs. I know this is a known thing in the industry. But I'm not sold on the pre-production thing. It's more of like a songwriter who's going to help you finish your songs.
1: Well, the producer's there. They hold your hand while the red button blinks, right? A pre-producer is someone that's like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the contact information of this vocal coach. She's perfect for you. This is who you need to work with. The reason you're struggling to record vocals is you're doing a few things inefficiently and they're exhausting you and they don't sound great. This vocal coach is going to be great for you. Also, hey, you know, there's this local guy by you that does guitar work. You should have your guitar set up because you're a good guitar player, but your guitar sounds awful because it's not intonated. Intonated means the higher you play the notes up the neck of the guitar, the more out of tune they get. It's not calibrated properly. So just like someone that's smart enough to be like, hey, you need this. I'm going to give you some guidance on how to get better at that one thing so that you have the freedom to record on your own. You have to pitch it in terms of look, you want the freedom to self-produce. I can give you the freedom to self-produce, but you need to know some basic stuff. Like you're using the wrong side of that microphone, bud.
0: (laughs) I've seen that so many times.
1: (laughs) They could have used a pre-producer. What is that? That queen movie that came out and they were using RE20s, but like side addressing. Don't you give me a gear sled alert there, James. Yeah, you got one.
0: Um, So interestingly Ah. enough, you've actually, you've convinced me, but on the wrong thing. Yeah. I don't think pre-producer is a role that is going to exist or necessarily should exist as a specialized role. But I do think that there is so many people self-producing at home now to where it's almost like there needs to be like a home production coach, someone who is helping you through finishing songs, helping you through recording or mixing. It's almost, (laughs) I don't know where it sits in in the education world. Are you pitching me my business, homestudiolessons.com, Brian? Yeah, actually, it's kind of home studio lessons-esque, yeah. but maybe geared towards more of the musician than the person who's trying to produce at home. This actually brings another memory up. I was talking to Seth Mosley at an event, that real estate meetup we go to, Music and Money, here in Nashville. I've seen a few people from the Six Figure Home Studio community go to this, which is kind of cool. So it's every first Wednesday of the month. It's called Music and Money, and right now it meets at the Blackbird Theater or something, or the Mockingbird Theater in Franklin, Tennessee. Anyways, Seth Mosley was talking about how he has the setup now where he is remote producing artists. So he has someone in California he's producing. He has the ability to screen share and, and control their computer from his home and is able to record, edit, mix, like not really mix, but record and edit and produce the artist from a different state, which is crazy to think about. That is the future I think of producing and will be, but in the intermediate time, I think remote Pre-production like that where you're kind of coaching through instead of actually controlling I see that as being kind of a thing that could be done, but I still think It's more of a coaching thing. I don't know how I would pitch that to be honest with you, man Well, I mean I think the big thing is what makes the internet
1: great is not instagram. It's not facebook It's not your news feed facebook groups are really great But I think what makes the internet amazing are allowing personal connections and I think in 2020 we are going to see an explosion of coaches of all stripes, of all shapes and sizes. You're trying to make a pie in your kitchen for the first time. You're going to be able to hire a baking coach and it's going to be a real person that you're going to be able to ask questions to because where you learn the fastest is two people talking. Somebody with experience and someone that's working on it where you can ask questions and get feedback and then ask a question related to that answer and then get feedback and then ask a question related to that answer and get feedback. That's where you really grow the fastest because you can skip over a lot of the like Oh, I didn't need to read that chapter that didn't apply to me. Uh crap. I just wasted an hour
0: You talk about the future of coaching. I just looked this up. There are Actual dungeons and dragons coaches.
1: Oh, I believe it. I totally believe it coaching's gonna explode in 2020 folks You heard it
0: here first Okay, anything else you want to talk about with the pre-producer thing?
1: No, I think the biggest thing is I would say if I were pre-producing I would be running ads That'd be the best place to do it. I would describe the problem people are experiencing about I'm not finishing songs or I'm spending like a hundred hours on parts of a song and getting stuck. And it's just I'm in this home studio black hole. That should also be a word home studio black hole. I'm getting sucked into this black hole or I'm never finishing anything. And if that's you, I can help you. You still retain control. I'm not a producer, I'm a pre producer. I'm going to help it be easier for you. So. I'd be running ads for something like that.
0: All right. So we said we're going to be getting a little bit more off the wall as we progress. So we're going on to number three now. And this is probably a blue ocean, although I don't know if it's a very big ocean. This is probably more of a... It's not a very big ocean. It's a blue no. pond. <laughs> so maybe we've misbranded this third one here. But this is an interesting take that, Chris, you, you convinced me enough at least to put it in this episode uh, with your off-the-wall idea here. And that is an improv jazz studio. Before you skip ahead of this, before you give up on this, just just hear- You're pitching. This pitch is just terrible. Just hear Chris out here because he's got something for you. Chris, talk about this third blue ocean or blue pond rather.
1: Well, I'm going to start with a story. So over a Christmas break, something glorious happened in my house. My oldest son, Joshua, got really into Christmas jazz. He's nine years old and he would just listen to Christmas jazz all day long on his Alexa. And it was really cool because I was like, some of the jazz was pretty good. You know, like some of it was pretty tasty. And so we sat down one night, we bought a new couch over Christmas break too, and this got this big giant comfy couch. And we've got really nice speakers for our home entertainment system, like ridiculously expensive ones that were gifted to us by a friend. And we were sitting down and my son was like, Yeah, let's listen to Christmas jazz. So I pulled up some Christmas jazz. We're listening to it and Then I got this idea. I was like, man, you know, my favorite music ever is jazz. Like my favorite record is probably Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, best-selling jazz record of all time for good reason. And I was like, I'm going to pull up that record and let's see what they think. I'm not going to tell them it's not Christmas jazz. And we sat there, me, my nine-year-old, my six-year-old, and my four-year-old for 40 minutes listening to Miles Davis with no devices. It was like the freaking best. I was like, jazz is awesome. My kids like jazz. My kids are smart. They have good taste. And it got me thinking about how unique jazz is.
0: I hate jazz. You can't twerk to jazz. There's some jazz you could twerk to. Oh, okay. Well then I love it then. I'll send you some twerkable jazz Yeah, send me some twerkable jazz later. (laughs) So anyway, it got me thinking about
1: jazz. Jazz, one of my favorite musicians that's alive right now is this guy, Julian Lage. Julian is an improvisational jazz guitarist. And he's got a couple videos on YouTube that are just absolutely amazing. It's him, upright bass player and a drummer. And they do these live concerts and they improvise throughout the concert. And it's awesome. I'm obsessed with it. I'm sure there'll be a link to Julian's stuff in the show notes here. But the thing that's interesting about that is they get a bunch of videographers and a recording engineer and they seem to set up and then make music up on the fly. And that's how Julian makes music. And it's how a lot of famous jazz musicians in history have made it. And I'm like an aspiring jazz musician. I essentially try to pretend I'm playing the saxophone on my guitar, like really laid back lead stuff. And it got me thinking about how much fun it would be to be in a jazz group, particularly if I were paying a subscription fee to a studio and it was like, hey, on the fourth Thursday of the month from 8 p.m. to 12 p.m., me and these guys are going to show up and we're just going to play improvisational jazz while someone records it. And eventually that's probably going to turn into a record. And that got me thinking, wow, what a great business to be in as an audio engineer if it was like, hey, I have somehow tracked down all the people that want to be improvisational jazz musicians. Or it, it did not have to be jazz. It could be any kind of improvisational music. And the only thing keeping these guys from making more records is money. That's it. For most people, the thing that's keeping them from making more records is they don't have any songs that are finished yet.
0: That's the bottleneck. I mean, sometimes it's money and music, but usually it's the music thing that's the biggest bottleneck. It takes so long to write. me. Like in the metal scene, which is the niche I'm in, it is so painfully difficult to write a good, long metal song. And again, most songs in the metal industry seem to be like four minutes plus, which is hilarious. Some are five, six, seven minutes, and that's a lot of work to write those songs that it can take weeks, if not months, to write just a few songs. And some of those songs won't even make it on the record. So when you contrast that to improv jazz or any kind of improv music where they can just make music up on the fly, it takes away one of those two massive bottlenecks. And then it comes down to, do they have money? And the answer could be yes, it could be no, but it definitely takes away one of the two big bottlenecks. So that's why it's interesting to me is that it is, it can lead to a lot more recurring work because then if they have a regular paycheck, they know how much they can allocate to their recording budget every single month or every single year. You know that every three months or every two months or every month, they're coming in the studio for six hours. They're just gonna jam and we're gonna see what comes out of it.
1: Yep. And in a situation like that, it gets interesting because if you get five guys, like five different jazz groups, they're gonna show up at your studio and set up in your live room and improvise for a few hours a month, all of a sudden, You've got some pretty predictable income, especially because you've got more than one guy coming in to improvise. The real art of improvisation is you've got a couple guys in the room, and they're changing what they do based on what one of them did. They get inspired by each other, and in a situation like that, if it's say three hundred dollars to come in and record for four hours once a month, that's the reoccurring fee, and that's that's all things included. Then you're only talking with a three person jazz group about a hundred dollars per month per person. That's a pretty good deal.
0: Yeah. And also people in the jazz scene tend to form kind of a community. They, a lot of them know each other. They're playing gigs together. They're doing stuff together. We have a, we have a jazz scene here in Nashville. You wouldn't think it, but they do. And there's jazz clubs they play at and stuff and they're freaking awesome. I don't know if I would touch this one personally, just because I don't have any history in jazz. I don't really have the passion for jazz, although we're, we've kind of taken passion out of this conversation. To me, I'm all in on the podcast, agent. done for you podcast agency idea that <laughs> we talked about it at first. So it's hard to get me to sell me on any other idea besides that. But jazz improv studio, it would be a good thing to get into to just see how it does. It'd be fun. I'd have a blast doing that. I don't have the time to do it. But this, again, if you're thinking about the perspective of somebody who is trying to find the fastest path to profitability, if you have ties to the jazz scene or you have a good, healthy jazz scene in your area. This is something worth looking into because of what you just said, Chris. It's just the only bottleneck is money. And if you find the Golden Goose, which is a <laughs> improvisational jazz artist who has money, maybe the owner of Patreon, the, the founder of Patreon, he probably has some cash. I think they raised a few hundred million dollars and he might be willing to pay. He probably has his own setup, but someone like that might be willing to pay a decent amount of money to come in all the time. And that could keep you afloat for a while. Well, and he does. Jack Conti is the guy's name from Patreon. He's in the studio all the time.
1: He's got a whole bunch of different YouTube channels where they're making, they do cover music. And again, like that sort of comes back to the same idea of like, you could do this sort of same idea with cameras.
0: Yeah. We talked about it on a past episode and I couldn't even for the life of me tell you what episode it was. It was probably in the summer in the thirties, forties or fifties in our backlog. But we talked about the recurring income aspect of Using cameras to have clients come in and record one song a month with video and putting it on YouTube. and you talked about that. What was there? Is it Pampaous? Is that the artist's name or one of the bands he's in?
1: Pampaous? Yeah, yeah, they do that. They got another band called Scary Pockets. It's like one of my favorite bands right now. They have a YouTube channel called Scary Pockets, and they do funk covers, and I think
0: they release at least weekly. Have you found any info on the studio they record that at? Yeah, yeah, I've talked
1: to the guy that records them before he's awesome. But yeah, I mean, they do all sorts of, it's fun music, all of it's fun music. And they just started doing a new YouTube channel that's called Stories. That's like acoustic covers. They've got a cover of, uh, of a 1975 song that just rips me up inside. It's so good. But let me share one more idea with this. So kind of back to the jazz idea here. When it comes to the jazz studio where you are working with reoccurring improvisational clients, one of the things you can do if you're plugged into a jazz community is you can foster that community. You can say, hey, Bob, you're a great drummer. I know this guy, Joe, who's an unbelievable upright bass player. And I know this other guy, the best guitar player in town or the best saxophone player in town or whatever it happens to be. Would you guys want to come in and just have an improv night? We got some new gear. We want to test it out. You guys improv. We'll record it and then pitch it to them of like, dude, if you guys ever wanted to come in monthly, we could figure out you know what that would cost. You could basically create improv jazz groups. And you would pitch to people of like, you should be in an improv group with this guy and that guy, or this guy and that guy and that guy and that guy, and this guy and that guy and that girl and her mom, (laughs) you know, whatever. And you'd be pitching, why don't you guys just come in and improv and it's really affordable because you guys are sharing the cost and you could probably get, man, if somebody pitched that to me of like, hey, we've got this great jazz drum and this great upright bass player Here's a reoccurring fee and once a month you will show up and you get to have like jazz camp. You get to play jazz with these guys. I'd be like, yes, done. Absolutely. Where do I sign? So there's a lot of guys like me that would absolutely go nuts for something like that. And with improv groups, you have the capability of creating them from scratch. A lot of great classic jazz was made in that way. It was like you, 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 and you, and you pick up your instruments. We're pressing record.
0: All right, let's go. Oops. We made a hit record. That's jazz. It's kind of like Korean boy bands. What's BTS? I guess so. The factory just churns out boy bands over and over again. You could be that factory, Chris. You could be the jazz J-pop. We'll call it J-pop. Actually, (laughs) J-pop's already a thing. Never mind. That's Japanese pop. Anyways, you were on a rant. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I think my rant's over, but we should probably have a K-pop episode.
1: We need to find like a K-pop person. Who produces K-pop? Somebody tell me who produces that stuff so we can get them on. Yeah, if you have connections in the k-pop world and you know somebody who speaks clear enough english that they would be a good podcast guest Let us know. I don't know if they record over there if they do it here. I
0: don't know how all that works I just need to know more. I don't even know. It's fascinating. It's a really strange genre unto itself Dude, bts is huge. They have like action figures with what's the toy company the big toy company hasbro Yeah, I think they have like BTS dolls or whatever. Can we get bts dolls? Oh my gosh. They look creepy dude. Holy gra- it's mattel
1: That'll be the only merch that our podcast has. You can get Chris and Brian dolls for your studio.
0: Dude, how do we get dolls? Oh my gosh.
1: Mine comes with its own RE20 and Brian's comes with its own SM7. We sending
0: you these BTS dolls on our Zoom chat here. So if you want to look at that. Oh man, this podcast has gone way downhill, Brian. You're sending me a link for dolls. I'm getting the Prestige Doll 5, 49 Okay, I'm looking at it.
1: Mattel. Okay. Dear
0: God. The links to these dolls will be in our show notes at the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 114. There will unfortunately be a link to this in our show notes page. All right, moving on to our last. One more thing. These dolls are $49 a piece. Yeah. And they're really
1: high quality. They they remind me there's a show called, what is it, like Rescue Team or Adventure Squad or something like that that my kids watch uh, on Netflix and it's like five, four, three. And it's like this whole like puppets out and save people.
0: To me, they just look like they're straight out of, what's that thing that the founders of South Park made the like stop action? Oh yeah. Yeah. It looks team just America. like that. Yeah. What, what movie is that? Team America, right? They look like team America dolls. All right. So we're moving on to our last of the four blue ocean ideas to get you to profitability ASAP.
1: I'm so excited about this one. This one's so goofy and amazing.
0: Yeah. Again, we said progressively more off the wall. Number one was the done-for-you podcast agency. Number two was the pre-producer specialist role. Number three was the improv jazz recurring revenue studio. Number four is even crazier. What do we got?
1: So I mentioned Julian Lage before. Love him. I saw a video of him. I forget the guy's name, but it's him and another musician. They have a small improv guitar group. They made a YouTube video of them recording with nice gear on a dock at like an amazing like vacation spot. And it was clear that they had intentionally gone to this spot to hang out and record. And it got me thinking, I was like, dude, what if someone had a business and their whole pitch to artists was, well, we don't have a studio. What we do is we book amazing locations and we take you to an awesome Airbnb and we get you the healthiest that you can possibly be by melding the recording process with the vacation process. And we call it
0: vacording. That sounds like a shitty vaping recording studio.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's idea number six. It's a vape shop slash recording studio. (laughs) Not actually the worst idea I've ever had, but let's go back to the vape recording thing. Here's the thing. When you record a band, you want them to sound good, but more than that, you want them to feel the music. You want them to perform in a way that brings people to tears. And somebody who is approaching recording like a job, as far as a musician goes, it's going to be hard to capture magic lightning in a bottle. It's going to be hard to capture lightning in a bottle when someone's like in the real world, what you want when people listen to music, they want to be transported somewhere. So why not record your record in somewhere that people want to be transported to like Yosemite, where we went to this business idea is instead of pitching someone that they record with you at your studio or whatever, you would find people with a lot of disposable income and you would pitch a dream recording package. Hey, we're going to go to Yosemite. We're going to rent this house. It's going to cost $19,000 and you and all your buddies are going to go out. I'm going to show up with all my gear. We're going to bring a caterer who is going to take care of, you know, basically like a maid slash butler slash chef individual. And they're going to take care of everyone's needs. And we're going to combine whatever they love to do. It could be golf, it could be hiking, it could be sailing. And then in the evenings, we're going to record a record.
0: And we're going to have an executive chef who's cooking meals for us there. It's going to be five star. Yeah. We're
1: talking about a fantasy recording thing, but not at a studio.
0: Yeah. At this point, this is no longer really about the recording. It's about the entire experience. Bingo. And this is because, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to this, but nowadays people are starting to value experiences over stuff now. And when you can pitch us an incredible experience that they can take their musician friends or they can go solo with you out to some crazy ass environment. And really it's going to be probably with friends and record either cover songs or it can be songs that they've written or anything. It's just, it's an experience for them to release the creative side of their soul that they've basically had to keep locked away because during their day job, they're focused on making money they run a business, they have employees, they have a lot of stress, they have to deal with taxes, they have to deal with payroll, they have to deal with all the GDPR rules and the California Privacy Act and all of these things that run businesses to the ground and stress you out. And you're saying, hey, we're going to take a week away. We're going to take two weeks away. We're going to go to this five-star setting, this mansion. We're going to set up in one of the rooms all of this recording gear. We're going to have a chef on site cooking us meals every single meal. We're going to have masseuse there we're going to have sailing setup we're going to have a guided hike we're going to have all of these crazy things and it's going to be expensive for you to do as the business owner it's going to take 10 15 20,000 to do this but you're basically doubling your margins you're saying this is going to be 20 30 40 50,000 for us to do this the difference that you have the unique advantage that you have over someone else who's just booking a generic vacation for somebody is that you are tying a passion to this when you can tie someone's passion with a self-care retreat, it is undoubtedly one of the most powerful ways to convince somebody to give you money. So this isn't necessarily an
1: idea I invented. I know that there are people that have done this. I'm pretty sure that this is how Led Zeppelin recorded at one point. There's a castle called Clearwell Castle that I'm pretty sure they rented and recorded like Led Zeppelin 2 or something in. I'm sure I'm, I'm getting all the details wrong on this, but If you're working with artists, you want the artist to be in an emotionally healthy spot. And like I'm imagining, Brian, about a year ago, you invited a bunch of your buddies that were all your groomsmen out to Yosemite. And we got an Airbnb and we hiked and we ate together and we hung out. And it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. I'm talking about that where we all chipped in. I ended up dropping about a thousand bucks, plane ticket, rent, food, everything, car rental, Wasn't totally unreasonable because there were, you know, there was a a pretty large number of us, I think a dozen or 13 or something. I'm imagining a similar experience to that. It's like a bro retreat, right? (laughs) But we paid somebody else that showed up with like a drum kit. Maybe it was an adjacent Airbnb and they had a drum kit and guitars and everything was set up. And then we're like, okay, we just finished dinner. Now we're going to walk over to the other Airbnb and we're going to record. My performance after standing at the foot of El Cap at Yosemite would have been a lot different than my performance driving to a studio in Columbus, Ohio after work one day and recording. It would have been totally different. And that's interesting from a lot of perspectives, but mostly because there are people that that's like bucket list for them, that that's like, oh my gosh, there's nothing on earth I'd rather do than me and my bandmates go to a vacation property somewhere that I want to be and record together, which is absolutely brilliant. Now, We're talking about you guys finding an Airbnb, but like there are people, I'm I'm not going to say his name, so I'm not calling him out. One of the guys I coach owns an Airbnb in a really great
0: location and a recording studio in the backyard. Yeah, you can book a place or you can own the place. Actually, that's what got my mind spinning. I'm like, I used to do a vacation rental here in Nashville for a number of years and earned six figures a year from one location. I can't imagine being able to spruce that up a little bit with a side of recording and Seeing what that does as far as, hey, come to Nashville with your group or your friends or whatever, it's probably trash music. It's probably not going to be very fulfilling. I'm not going to be the one engineering it. I'm going to hire somebody out to do it. But how much more would somebody pay to come to Nashville and record at a studio and have the Airbnb set up the way I usually set it up, which is very nice? That could be a really good way to make more than what you're going to end up paying an engineer to run that stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, people will pay more for a dream come true than they will for. I need 10 songs recorded and mixed in a professional way, and I need an interface with eight inputs.
0: Again, this is no longer about the recording. This is about the experience. And I would say in a lot of cases, people are probably going to just record cover songs because that's all they know. Like the type of person that would book this, but some might have their own music. You never know. Well, I'm imagining,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm like trying to pitch this to you guys so you can make it happen for me and my wife. My wife and I write together. We haven't like released anything in a really, really long time. But I'm imagining like if my wife and I and our kids went to like, I don't know, Hawaii or Jackson Hole, Wyoming or Yosemite or San Francisco even. And we got an Airbnb, we're doing things. And then a babysitter shows up and we walk next door and record. And it's like sort of vacationing, it's sort of recording, but the goal is get in your, your absolute ideal emotional spot, which for me is going to involve nice restaurants and hiking or at least walking in a beautiful place in San Francisco really checks the box there. I could walk on the beach, whatever. But a situation like that is way more interesting to me and my family than like the traditional kind of working man's idea of like, you're going to go to the studio and you're going to work like, eh, nah. So I think this vacording idea is interesting because if the right person really went after this and was like, well, you know, what sets me apart? I don't record in studios. I set up entire experiences. And if I'm not going
0: to somewhere cool with you, I'm not interested in working with you. Yeah, this is very much like the Done For You podcast agency. It's very high touch. And with high touch, the only way to make it work is to make it high cost. And with a Done For You podcast agency with the right type of client and with vape not vape courting, with the right type of client, you could charge a lot because of the fact that this is Not just a recording, it is an entire experience. And people will pay for experiences like this. I'm reminded of, you guys might not remember this girl, but her name is Paris Hilton. Who is that? I've never heard of her.
1: She was like friends with uh, Lionel Richie's daughter and she was famous for being famous. She was sort of a Kardashian before the Kardashians. And she like recorded at least a couple songs and they were not good. But for someone like that, that's sort of like a debutante, you know, has tons of money to burn, and you pitched her like, hey, we're going to go like spend a week in Hawaii and we're going to record your record while we're there. Someone, <laughs> this idea is getting crazier and crazier. But someone like that, someone that's got disposable income, you're much more likely to get a yes out of them
0: if you pitch something exciting. I was just joking about not knowing who Paris Hilton is. I thought everyone knew, but you couldn't pay me enough money <laughs> to spend a week in Hawaii recording Paris Hilton's like, EP. There's no no amount, of, there's not a dollar figure that exists that would convince me to do that. Interesting. I, I can think of at least
1: several dollar figures that I would be down for a trip to Hawaii to record Paris Hilton. The big thing here is I want to talk about my wife a little bit here. I did a lot of stupid stuff as a younger man, but one of the smarter things I did, and I've talked about it on the show before, was the way I asked out my wife. And when I asked her out, I didn't just say, hey, will you go out with me? Hey, will you be my girlfriend? What I said was, hey, I think you're great. You know, when I met you, I was really attracted to you cuz you're beautiful. But then as I got to know you, I got to know your character, and then my attraction to your character surpassed my attraction to your beauty. That caught my attention, and that's why I'm asking you out. And what I'm asking you to do is to go on a canoe trip with me. I will pack a picnic. I'll pick you up on Saturday morning at 10:30. We're going to drive to Logan, Ohio, where we're going to rent a canoe, and we're going to go on a 7-mile canoe ride. Halfway through, we're going to pull over to the side of the river. I'm going to pack, it's a penne pasta dish that I like to make with chicken. We're going to eat that and then we're going to continue down the river and then they're going to pick us up and drive us back to our car with a canoe. And because I was so specific about, here's what you can expect, it went from when I met with her to ask her out, it was a hard no, absolutely no way would she go on a date with me. By the end of the pitch that it was so specific and so interesting and so different, I got a hard yes. And it was so much fun to ask her out in this way. And I think when you're talking about recording somebody, pitching them services is hard. Pitching them an experience is a lot more exciting. And I think you're a lot more likely to get a yes out of that, whether you're asking somebody out or proposing that you work together on a record.
0: So I think there's a little bit of time here because we're already you know, an hour and a half into this episode or so for a bonus one here. And this is the ultimate business right here. Oh, I'm pumped. This is not pre-planned at all. Here we go. I'm going to find a rich improvisational jazz artist. I'm going to do remote pre-production on that rich improvisational jazz artists music. Can you do pre-pro on improv jazz? Just pretend that you can. I'm going to charge him for that. Yeah, okay, there's a little bit. Yeah. Then I'm going to take his improvisational jazz group to the location of their choice, some luxury vacation for a vacording experience that I charge accordingly for. And while we're at the vacording experience, we're going to start a podcast for his business and I'm going to get paid monthly for that podcast, 18,000, 25,000 for the 25 episodes. What was the price that that guy charged? If I can get all four of these things in one business, how much do you, how much is that? That's a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money. If you have,
1: you're doing all you right a
0: podcast, you're getting paid for monthly. You got pre-production on the songs. They went on your vacation recording experience with improvisational jazz now they're coming to you every single month because they enjoy the process so much They're coming to your local studio every single month get recurring income there and you got a podcast you're getting paid for that's a pretty damn good business Anything you want to add to that chris
1: one of the things you could do as well is pitch them on We're going to record this record and we're going to make a bunch of podcast episodes about recording this record <sighs> Mr. Lyd shaw of the recording studio rock brought this idea up to me it's an idea I'm very
0: interested in. It's too bad you threw it at the end of an hour and a half episode where we've gone off the rails. We've lost most of our listeners by this point. No one's listening at this point. <laughs> they got lost at the improv jazz thing. They turned it off at that point. So I can't blame them. <laughs> I can't blame them. <laughs> Anything else you want to add to this, Chris? Because again, our whole goal here is to make you think outside of the box. That's the entire goal for this episode. Think outside of the box when it comes to creating a blue ocean. Do not try to swim in the red ocean. That's disgusting find blue ocean, find open waters, find non-competitive areas where you can be instantly the number one vague courting experience on earth or the number one improv jazz studio in Columbus, Ohio. I think outside the box. Well, I'm going to get super kooky here and then I'm going to close up shop here. I might have just dropped the mic there. So this better be good. Okay.
1: At some point in the future, there will be tourism to the moon. You will be able to pay to go to the moon. Probably within 10 years. And at some point in the future, a band and a recording engineer are going to pay to go to the moon. And they're going to make a record on the moon. And it's going to be awesome. And that in itself is their marketing plan. We recorded this on the moon. Like, that day is coming. I guarantee it. So, recording
0: on the moon. Let's go, guys. Who's going to do it? I really want to cut this, but I'm not. (laughs) I will add to this I'm going to push back on your idea And have a more realistic idea I don't think in the next 10 years We're going to have Tourism to the moon In the next 10 years We'll have tourism around the moon And then in our lifetime Probably tourism to the moon Okay You might be right There will be A version of Dark side of the moon Recorded on the actual Dark side of the moon In orbit And mastered by Lander (laughs) (laughs) Oh and we're done Oh man Oh man So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Hopefully, that got your mind racing. Hopefully, you're coming up with some unique and cool ideas to become a blue ocean instead of just bathing in the blood of other failed businesses, (laughs) as morbid as that sounds. Uh, This week is Nam. so Chris and I will both be at It is. It starts Thursday this week and goes through Sunday. So if you are wanting to hang out with us or meet with us or chat with us or anything, uh, just hit us up podcast at the sixfigurehomestudio.com if you want some sort of formal meeting. Uh, If you just want to meet up with us as a group, we're going to try to schedule some sort of group hangout while we're at Nam. I think you should follow us on social media if you want to know when and where that will be, because we're going to kind of do it as a fly by the seat of our pants kind of plan. But we really, really want to see if you're coming to Nam. For those of you who are not coming to Nam, important thing about the podcast here, I leave straight from LA Monday and fly out to Southeast Asia with my wife for the five week workcation. So I will be working and traveling with my wife, uh, just seeing things and experiencing things and having fun and traveling uh, while still working. So the podcast will still be happening, but two big changes are going to happen. One is it's going to sound different because I'm traveling. Remember my honeymoon that I had uh, last year around April, or actually it was March to April. Chris took over the podcast, and I because I wasn't working at all on at least the first half of my honeymoon, and the podcast audio took a hit because of that. Well, this time. I've completely revamped the podcast audio to where it will work from my laptop and I'll be working the whole time. So the podcast audio will change, but we've changed some plugins up and processing and stuff. The good news is if you like this episode, it was already processed with that new chain because I was testing it out this week. So this is what the podcast will sound like from week to week while I'm traveling. Bad news is if you didn't like this podcast audio, it's gonna sound like this from week to week for the rest of this trip. So (laughs) that's just the way it is. A couple other things is we only have one other episode pre-recorded. So next week's episode is one we did uh, before I left. But unless Chris and I record episodes at Nam together, then the format is going to change drastically while I'm traveling. And that's because Chris and I will be at a 12-hour time difference, meaning when it's 1 p.m. my time, it's 1 a.m. his time. When it's 1 p.m. his time, it's 1 a.m. my time. That's really, really, really difficult to get on a call together. So we likely will not do any sort of like in-person episodes together like we do, like where we just, we video chat, Uh, And we record the podcast and that's how we've done it since day one We've actually never done an in-person episode before So if we do it in AM, it'll be the first time we've done it So we have some plans for episodes to keep it going, but we might have some solo episodes Uh, We might have guest hosts on the podcast. We might do uh, a couple interviews while i'm gone So be prepared for things to change up Uh, Our goal is to not miss a week while i'm gone because again This podcast is still a priority for both chris and I Even when i'm traveling this podcast is still a priority for us And for anyone who is still listening at this point Another big announcement, we have just opened up registration for the next accountability accelerator bootcamp that is for profitable producer course students only. So if you are already a profitable producer course student and you have not partaken in one of the previous five or six AABs, then you are eligible to register for this one. All you need to do is go to academy.the figurehomestudio.com and sign up for the accountability accelerator bootcamp. And so all the info is on that page to register, depending on whether or not I have time The video there will maybe be updated or it might be this old video from AAB 5.0. Either way, it doesn't matter. All I really do is reshoot the intro of that anyways, because the format is going to stay the same. It worked really well last time. And so we're going to stick with what we did last time. So uh, I don't really need to update that video. So you'll likely see the video from AAB 5.0 when you sign up. Doesn't make a difference. It's going to be a new cohort of students together. Once we've hit close to that uh, number of about 100 students, usually when we hit about 70 or 75 students... We set a specific date to start, uh, but we're looking at, it's probably gonna be either late winter or early spring is the goal, but it all depends on how many people sign up and how soon we can get to about that 75 student threshold. So if you're already a profitable producer course student, there is no excuse for you not to have participated in a past AAB or this AAB. It is by far the best experience students have because it's so much teamwork involved. There are assignments, you get shit done because you are basically required to. And by the way, if you are, interested in the podcast agency idea, which was idea number one from this episode, the AAB is the perfect place to plan and launch that because we go through everything you need to know in order to find your ideal customer, to set up your website, to basically start that business from scratch. And uh, it would be really cool to have at least one or two of you who are trying to do that while we're in AAB because I'd love to walk you through that. So if you want more info on that, just go to academy.thesixfigurehomestudio.com and look for the Accountability Accelerator Bootcamp product in the academy, and there'll be more info for you there. If you're not already a student of the course, then you can just go to theprofitableproducer.com. That's theprofitableproducer.com, and you'll find more information on how to join the course. The course is open for enrollment right now, so just go there if you wanna sign up. And if you sign up now, you will be eligible for this Accountability Accelerator Bootcamp, assuming that you hear this and sign up before we actually start. So that is all I have for you this week Next week's episode is an episode about sales and that's all i'm going to say about that So keep an eye out for the podcast episode coming next week tuesday bright and early at 6 a.m As always until next time. Thank you so much for listening and happy hustling